0: Hi guys. Today on the Student Influencers podcast, we are happy to be joined by Delara. Delara is a young woman currently attending UCLA and focusing her studies on entertainment law. Delara shares the story of how she pivoted from a career in the music industry to pursue a law degree. If you're considering law school, you're not going to want to miss this episode. Delara shares her tips and tricks about how she raised her score on the LSAT by almost 20 points. Join me, Kathan, as I chat with Delara about her journey.
1: Hi, Kath Thank you so much. It's a delight to be on your show.
0: We're so happy to have you and so excited to get into some amazing content here.
1: Absolutely.
0: Awesome. So Let's just start off with a few get-to-know-you questions. Um, where do you live and where were you born?
1: So currently I'm living in Beverly Hills in Los Angeles. Um, oh, okay. I, I moved here to be closer to school. I also um, was living here for a year before starting law school, working at a law firm. But I was born in Canada, actually, in Montreal. Oh, okay. I am a Canadian citizen. Um yes. And I lived in Vancouver very shortly before moving to the States when I was five and I've been here ever since.
0: Oh wow. So you're a fellow Canadian. We yep. have lots of Canadians listening to this show and we're actually Canadian company, so Yeah,
1: I, yeah. I, I knew that. It's it's a wonderful place and the people are so incredible and it's very beautiful.
0: It is. We're, we are pretty lucky, but I'm mm-hmm. sure L.A. is absolutely stunning as well. <laughs> there,
1: th- We have our perks, surely. Yes.
0: <laughs> the sun being one of yes. them. Yes. <laughs> it's
1: actually a beautiful day out right now. But, oh, you know, it? it gets a little erratic sometimes. We have ups sure. and downs, but it's, it's great overall. I'm very grateful.
0: Nice. So that kind of leads me into what college or university are you currently attending?
1: Currently, I'm attending UCLA School of Law. Um, I just finished my second year. It's a three-year program, so just one more year left before I graduate.
0: So exciting.
1: Very exciting.
0: And so did you do an undergraduate degree before this?
1: Yes, it's necessary before law school. Um, Mm -hmm. I Began at a community college in Irvine, where I grew up for my first okay. two years, and then I transferred to Cal State Long Beach uh, to finish off my bachelor's.
0: Okay, and was it a bachelor of arts or? Yes,
1: it yeah. was. Um, my major was political science.
0: Oh, interesting. That yeah. would go really well with law, I imagine.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: So in law school, I'm not. I'm. I'm a little bit familiar with the process, but. Mm-hmm. Do you have a concentration or a major in law school, or how does that work?
1: So it's not something that's required kind of in the same way that it is an undergrad. Um, A lot of people, of course, decide what area of the law that they want to be practicing while they're Mm -hmm. learning about the various aspects of the law, and they'll have Um, you know, greater certainty in their second and third years. Uh, The first year of law school across the board are always the same classes. No matter which law school you're at, you're going to be taking what's called doctrinal courses. And what those are is kind of the foundation for every kind of specialty that there is in law. So you're going to be taking contracts. You're going to be taking civil procedure as well as criminal law. And -hmm. then you have torts. You have... um, I will... There's two more. One L was definitely a... traumatizing experience. So I've kind of suppressed those, um, <laughs> those memories. <laughs> memories. Yes. Um, and, and two other do- but But the general idea is that everyone's taking the same class. So there's no room. You can't specialize. You don't even choose your classes. Right. But in your second and third year, that's when you are able to specialize if you want to. Well, there are mm-hmm. business specializations, entertainment specializations, as well as public interest. Um, some people are interested in environmental law, um, Mm -hmm. as well as immigration. There's there's so many different ways to go. Personally, I was most interested in the entertainment law program. And that's why Mm -hmm. I chose to attend UCLA, because they have the top entertainment law program in the country.
0: That makes um, sense. Yes, it's, it's
1: a it's a great destination to to practice. But um, but yeah, you can choose to officially do that if you take a certain amount of courses, or you can you know choose classes that you think that you're going to learn the most from and not have it be as formal, but still gain that skill set.
0: Sure. And so, what drew you to that entertainment realm? Um, yeah. I'll
1: leave it at that for now. Yeah, so that's a great question. I actually grew up wanting to be a singer. Um, oh. I had no idea that I wanted to practice law or or do anything really academic oriented. My mom told me that really? I could yeah, sing before I could speak. <laughs> so wow. yeah, I was a music kid my whole life. I played guitar and piano and was very, very passionate about being a singer Um, when I was 16, I started a YouTube channel and, um, that's when, you know, I really decided that it was something that I wanted to pursue because it, my channel had gained so much traction on Mm -hmm. YouTube. I, you know, got over a million views in a short period of time. Um, and especially, you know, being someone young, kind of during the inception of that phase on the internet where gaining notoriety doing YouTube was mm-hmm. something that was not even so common, so it was so exciting, sure. and I was getting reached out to by various record labels and agents, wow. and um, I decided then, because of my success on YouTube, to graduate high school a year early and okay. move to Hollywood to pursue it. Um wow. yeah and it was a very um interesting experience I learned a lot about the industry Mm -hmm. Um, and actually I, it ended up kind of being a negative experience for me because although I loved making music so much, I was told by a lot of labels that I needed to lose 20 pounds, that I was too ethnic looking, that I didn't have an interesting enough story. Yeah. This was around 2011, 2012. So, um, I Mm. think socially we were kind of in a different moment. Um, and, A lot of the contracts that I was presented with were 360 contracts, which is very kind of unfair to the talent side. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I realized that although I loved music, I wasn't in love with the music industry. So that is when I decided to move back home and um, enroll in a community college and kind of start back from square one. Mm-hmm. And one of the first classes I happened to take was a communications class. Okay. And, of course, that's just, you know, a lot, of, a lot of students in their freshman year of college will take a communications very, you know, general. And sure. one, of, one of the courses I needed to take to check off, essentially, to, to graduate. But my professor happened to be the head coach of the speech and debate team. Um, okay. And I, I don't know if it was my, you know, background and publicly performing or being on stage but I really found a lot of um comfort being in that position of giving speeches Mm -hmm. and my my teacher noticed that and so he asked me at the end of the class to join the speech and debate team and at first I was like speech and debate team like that's so nerdy I've been you know a music kid (laughs) my I just got back from Hollywood like I'm this hotshot, cool you know and yeah. but but I decided, you know, you know, I'm here. I I'm going I'm going to school regardless. Mm-hmm. If I don't like it, I can always quit, but yeah. might as well try because I do enjoy it and maybe it'll be good to have on my resume. And I'm a naturally very competitive person, so I like the I I never made any sports teams in high school. I'm very not athletic mm-hmm. um, or coordinated, so I was like, okay, this will be a cool place to exert that competitive side of me. Anyway, um, I ended up falling in love with it. And um, I became, you know, the captain of my team. We won two consecutive national championships. It became my my whole life. I was best friends with everybody on my team. It was such a rich, such an amazing experience that I really, really highly recommend to anybody, whether on the high school level or on the college level. But it was a huge kind of informing the person I am today. And I definitely wouldn't be in my position now if it wasn't for uh, my experience on the debate team but i i then decided okay like where can i apply all these newly developed skills of mm-hmm. public advocacy argumentation critical thinking mm-hmm. and and then naturally i thought the law And that's when I and then I thought, you know, entertainment law, because it would be this incredible synthesis of my previous experiences in the entertainment industry and in having that creative side to me, as Mm -hmm. well as marrying that to the more analytical and academic side of me that wanted to be an advocate. So that's kind of how it all happened.
0: That's an incredible story. Thank you so much for
1: sharing of all that. Of course, of course. Oh my goodness. What
0: like that's so inspiring.
1: Yeah, uh, and I, I think it's really a testament mm-hmm. to to show you'll never know where you'll be 5 years from now. I had Absolutely. like 5 years before I was in law school. I was dead set that I was going to be an international superstar. And right. you know, it's not ruled out, but now at least I know that I have a solid, you know, backup and it's really something that has informed the person I am today. And I think that if I were to hypothetically pursue the music industry now, I have so much knowledge and confidence knowing my rights and knowing, you know, how, how the industry works and all of the, the underlying foundational aspects to it, that I would be so much more well-equipped to, to pursue that now than I would have, you know, at 17, 18 years old. So it really ended up working out in a way that, I appreciated and um am very happy about.
0: Well, I agree. It certainly is a testament to um you've been so successful at fusing those um
1: all of your worlds. different
0: experiences, yeah, and, yeah, in life, and you know, some. I think it's a really good take on. I think some people might be discouraged mm-hmm. um, if they had your experience at first. Oh with, yeah, um, the music uh, scene and it not quite working out mm-hmm. the way you you envisioned it, right? right. Um, But just taking that and moving forward. Totally. And And knowing that there's a
1: grander scheme of things. And if it were to have worked out the way I wanted it to, I would never have probably gone to law school. And that's something I wouldn't trade for anything. So it's important to trust the process.
0: And also you taking the chance to go on the debate team and clearly your professor saw something in you that um, maybe you didn't even know that would connect with with what you're doing now. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. I, I had no idea.
0: That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love that story. And as a side note, I was looking at your Instagram and you are amazing at Ah, singing. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. That's so kind of you. Thank
1: you. Thank (laughs) you. Yes, it's definitely a passion of mine and I gain a lot of joy and fulfillment by still incorporating that creative side in my life.
0: I think it's a very, very important to have that balance. Yeah,
1: definitely. I agree. The
0: the academics and the creativity, Mm -hmm. for sure.
1: Sure. And even if it's not creative, it could be, you know, something athletic, something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. I think what makes people and things interesting is always a combination of things that wouldn't, you know, you, you wouldn't naturally come across. Sure. And it's really important. And we learn so many new things by connecting to things that are not, you know, uh, what would meet the eye as far as being compatible and Mm -hmm. it's always good to just become a well-rounded person in that respect.
0: Absolutely and um, that kind of ties into a conversation I had with another person I was interviewing uh, just this past week and we were discussing he was suggesting that sciences are quite different from creativity. Oh yeah. Um, However um, our, our conversation kind of led into the idea that creativity in a way um, is needed in the sciences or disciplines like that because you don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again
1: absolutely so, absolutely that's so funny you mentioned that mm-hmm. actually because one of the big papers that I wrote in law school is the the title of it is um, computational creativity and oh. whether it's possible for machines to to possess creative abilities and what and what we have found is that just last year there was a painting sold at a New York auction for four hundred fifty thousand dollars that was created independently by an artificial intelligent machine. Oh. But oh then the goodness. the question that arises from that is who owns the rights to that piece of art? Is it the sure. robot? Is it the programmer of the code? Is it the person right. who's using the algorithm? And it it's actually
0: who's funding the machine right right right?
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and and also it 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 analyzes the questions of what creativity actually means and is Mm -hmm. it something that is more algorithmic and a derivative of all of the things that we are exposed to as humans Mm -hmm. and is Mm -hmm. that something that a computer could possess because at the end of the day they are able to go through information at a much higher rate than humans sure. are and kind of going back to the idea that creativity co- comes from a connection of two unfamiliar ideas like for instance right. uh, um, a cartoonist, you know, depicting a politician as a type of circus animal. It's like a, there has to be a certain knowledge of politics and a certain knowledge of animals to draw that connection.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: If if machines will be able to do that, but uh, my my larger point is that it's it's something. That that idea that creativity is something that is actually very much something that is analytical and it, it is very married to science is um, a re- very relevant topic as we're experiencing so much technological changes at such a rapid rate today.
0: I agree, and I do. There's something about I'm not I haven't quite formed my thoughts around it, but it, there is something about this moment of people um feeling a bit more open to and flexible with their creativity and feeling like they have a platform absolutely um, like you mentioned with youtube and things Mm -hmm. so i think we're going to see an interesting uh connection between yes even more of an interesting connection between technology and creativity creativity go on yeah
1: Yeah. absolutely that's a great point Mm-hmm. And okay, it, so <laughs> we're getting a little sidetracked you but. go right ahead. You go I, ahead I was just gonna say that social media I think is also something that is influencing that pattern as well where now people have a platform to demonstrate and an incentive to demonstrate their you know the different aspects of them and that we aren't you know one-dimensional but we can possess many different ways of expressing ourselves
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think it's it's very interesting because you get you do often see so much kind of um, people are challenged by social media yes. in certain ways. Um, but I think if you look at it in the way you just described as a tool mm-hmm. um, to be used uh, to express creativity and different yeah. facets of your personality, it can be really helpful.
1: Definitely. Mm hmm.
0: So great conversation. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, yeah. I could go on about that for hours. My paper, I think, was like thirty pages long. I'm like Delar, don't go on, don't go on about the paper. <laughs> I always have to hold myself back because it's just such a fascinating concept and topic.
0: It is. It it's it's been coming a lot up up, up a lot lately. Yeah. I find definitely. And so it is an interesting kind of ongoing dialogue. For yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah, and I think that's also paired with this moment in time right now where I think people are more self-reflective than we've ever been Mm -hmm. kind of as a generation and questioning the things that we do and why we do them sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll watch tv like from the 2000s and I'll and I'll just think like how how did we not question this like this is so unrealistic and silly and like hyperbolic I don't know and now everything is a lot more I think we're kind of gaining this desire to reach a point of authenticity um, more and more. We see that kind of on the social media movements, as well as just, you know, the way that we interact in society. People are searching for more and more authenticity in a world that is, you know, pushes us to kind of go in the opposite direction.
0: Absolutely. Yes. So... We're in a neat, we're in an interesting moment right now, Mm -hmm. for sure. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So... I guess just to switch gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, So you're in law school right now. Yeah. And I know you did quite well on the LSAT. Yeah. Um, So I think it would be great if you could share uh, any tips or suggestions for people who would want to pursue law as a degree or as a career um, and how you would go about studying for the LSAT or any information you'd like to impart would be great.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I, I would love to talk about that. Um, I, in my personal experience, I was someone who um, I knew I wanted to go to UCLA, and because mm-hmm. again, I was I was very um, gung ho on their entertainment law program. I right. knew that it was a very difficult school to get into, um, and I also knew that my GPA wasn't necessarily. Uh, in, in their, um, you know, high percentiles as far as being a perfect candidate. Typically, mm-hmm. you know, they require like a three eight and above, and I think my GPA was closer to. Um, a 3.5 or a 3.6 and so I knew that the LSAT is where I really had to shine because in in the law school context your admission is very, very heavily weighed on your LSAT score. I would argue Mm -hmm. probably 70%. Um, I would say 20% probably is is, um, based on your GPA in your undergrad and then 10% is going to be what is coined as your softs which is you know your experience and work as well as extracurricular activities in Mm -hmm. school and I did have debate but again it didn't really have a lot of weight because it was lumped in that 10% category so I knew I had to do whatever it took to get the highest LSAT score to make myself competitive with those really highly achieving students in college Um, and mind you in that 10% is also which undergrad institution you're coming from. So you will be Mm -hmm. more favorably considered coming from an Ivy league versus, um, a smaller, you know, local or state school. So I also had that factor working against me as well, but Mm -hmm. But I knew I had to really figure out how to get the highest LSAT score I possibly could in order to love, like, put me on that playing field. Right. And and even my GPA wasn't something that was consistent through college. Again, because in the beginning I um, was still involved in music. And I just wasn't like very academically oriented. It was really debate that got me in that frame of mind. And Mm -hmm. over time, I even like repeated some of my classes that I had been taking when I was pursuing music that I wasn't, you know, putting, I wasn't doing my homework. I wasn't, I, I, I had the analytical ability, but I just wasn't disciplined at all. I would just not care. And that put right. you know, a strain on my GPA but uh, what I what I want to say you know to the people who are interested in pursuing law school that are listening to this is that um, there's always kind of a way that you can recalibrate and figure out a strategy to get to where you need to be because I, I some people I've really found through my conversations with prospective law students is that they feel um, like that there's only a limited amount of schools that they could get into based off of their GPA or what they think that they can achieve on the LSAT realistically. And I really believe that anything is possible and where there's a will, there's a way. And it's just about, um, taking that effective strategy. So in regards to the LSAT, what Mm -hmm. really, really changed the game for me, I think when I took my diagnostic and a diagnostic means the first time you ever take the LSAT, um, without any knowledge of how the exam works, I think I got something, I think I got like a 159 or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, maybe even lower, like a, between a 155 and 159. And and where I wanted to be was um, a, a 170 minimum. And right. that's a very big jump in, in terms of the LSAT because on average people don't um, increase their score by more than seven to 10 points. So I knew that it was gonna be um, a, quite the challenge. And I initially had taken a LSAT course to begin learning the foundational um, um, strategies and I had, I had taken blueprint and I, and I had a really good experience because they communicated the information in a way that was very digestible and like made it fun and like incorporated jokes and stuff. I did the online program. A lot of people I knew did the in-person one but I just, I, I appreciated the online program because if there were things that went too fast, I could slow down. And if there were things that I felt like I understood, I didn't have to hone in on and waste my time essentially. Right. You go um, at your own pace. yeah. And, and I did find an in, in, uh, increase, an increase in my score, but just not at all where I, I think I was still scoring in the low one sixties and I just didn't, mm-hmm. I was taking the LSAT over and I was studying really hard, but I just wasn't seeing a difference in my score. And if I was, it was either an increase by one to two points or a decrease in one to two points i couldn't right. find a consistent incline which was very frustrating mm-hmm. and what what i think really changed the game for me and what i recommend to everyone and it's not like a plug or anything because i i don't even have a affiliation with them but the company seven sage came up with this um studying method called blind review Okay. And the way that it were, and it's something that I took notice of because I would spend a lot of times on like the top law school forums, which mm-hmm. have a unique reputation for being like a little bit like elitist and people like cry at like scores that would get them to NYU and these like very highly ranked schools Um, but but I know I I I thought it was really important to be able to understand the lingo and the strategies that these really high performing um, students were taking and at the end of the day it's an online forum so you can essentially just lurk you don't have to engage with what's going on but right. so the blind review method is um, a, a unique method in taking the exam, and what students typically do is they'll they'll take the L, a practice LSAT, which is a four-hour exam, and then right after the exam they will check their score, and that is essentially the biggest waste of time of your four hours that you just spent taking that exam, because all you're doing is you're giving yourself a pat on the back for the questions that you got right. And then you're bumming mm-hmm. yourself out about the questions that you got you wrong. And you're not actually learning anything from that mm-hmm. process. You think you are, you're like, okay, now I know to, you know, do this next time, but right. you aren't internalizing it. Um, the way that the blind review method works is that you, when you, when t- you, When you're taking your practice LSAT, you're taking it in time conditions, which is I believe four hours and 30 minutes or 25 minutes. And while you're taking it in time conditions, you circle the questions that you don't feel a hundred percent certainty about. Yes. And, um, and it doesn't take much time to do it. You just, if you don't feel a hundred percent sure, you just circle it and then you move on. And when I say a hundred percent certainty, I mean, not 99%, not 99.9%, a hundred percent certainty that you have, that you got the right answer. If you don't have that feeling, you circle the question and then you move on. Um, and what that means it's not just that you have a hundred percent certainty that that answer is right but also a hundred percent certainty that the other four answer choices are wrong because there's five right. answer choices for every question and the reason why the blind re- blind review method advocates for this is because there's two ways to get to the right answer on the LSAT and one is immediately knowing you know the right answer Mm -hmm. but two Mm -hmm. is soundly eliminating for incorrect answers and having a reason why it's incorrect because I have found that through my experience Elsa, a lot of the times they write five correct answers and then will tweak four of the answers to make them wrong so it really looks Mm -hmm. like you're looking at five correct answers and you just have to figure out how yes which can be very very challenging but once once you implement this method what you'll realize is that through almost muscle memory in your head, you'll very much easily be able to identify what the right and wrong answers are. Okay, so kind of going back. So you're circling the questions that you're not 100% certain about. Yes. Um, and then once the exam is over, you do not check your answers. What you do mm-hmm. is you go back in untimed conditions with all the time in the world. You go to those, answers, those questions that you circled. And then you take your time and... Get to the right answer with 100% certainty. So right. you'll either keep the same answer that you, you that you inputted during time right. conditions, or you'll change it based off of you know um, grappling with it. And and what that looks like is talking about the question out loud, talking about the question with other people, reading mm-hmm. um, or or you know looking at your textbooks and seeing like how do you get to the right answer in this type of a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah for some sometimes in the blind review post-test period when I would go to those circled questions it would take a minute for me to get to the right answer and sometimes it would take 30 minutes sometimes it would take an hour just on one question right but grappling with the question and really listening to your mind and the way that you're getting to the right answer through your reasoning is where all of the learning takes place And And the
0: the retention of the information.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so uh, what you do at that point, once you've gone through all the circled questions, um, Seven Sage actually has this really useful a uh, website where you can input all of your original answers and then you input all of your blind review answers so that is with oh. untimed conditions i actually highly recommend this because what it does is once you're finished and you press submit you get your time condition score and then you get your blind review score the difference okay. between those two scores is your room for improvement in that moment because mm-hmm. Because what it indicates is for those questions that even in the blind review method that you got wrong, Mm -hmm. that's an opportunity to learn. That's an, exactly. And what it also does really conveniently is Seven Sage organizes the types of questions that you're getting wrong most often. And what I would, because there's about 15 to 20 different types of questions for like logical, the logical reasoning portion of the LSAT. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if I noticed that I was getting um, a disproportionately amount wrong for must-be-true questions, what I would do before I took my next practice LSAT is I would drill must-be-true questions. And only must be true questions and that's something that you can buy or that is provided through your um, the company that you're using to prepare for the exam but Mm -hmm. you're essentially like it's like like going to a fight like you're boxing and then Mm -hmm. losing and then realizing that you lost because of your uppercut and then going and Mm -hmm. practicing your uppercut until it's perfect and that way when you take your next exam then it will show what's the next weak spot for you now that 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 is taken care of, that weakness is taken care of. Mm -hmm. So essentially repeating this process over and over again where I was doing the blind review and then seeing what type of answers I was getting wrong in particular, drilling that type of question until I was getting no questions wrong on that category of question. And then Mm -hmm. taking the next LSAT, I noticed my score going up and up and up and up and I noticed it was consistent there um there wow. were t- and and i and i the people that i have recommended this method to have told me the exact same thing and you're taking luck out of the equation because there is never not a right answer on mm-hmm. um an lsat question i mean the right. L, the L, the law school admissions committee spends a lot of time and resources to very carefully craft these questions you have to trust mm-hmm. there is a right answer and it's there's a reason why it's the right answer and when you practice identifying that reason over time you'll realize that the time constraint is kind of the only thing that's holding you back and you just mm-hmm. need to improve timing you just need to, once you get your accuracy right then you are able to invest the appropriate resources in getting your timing faster so that you're getting mm-hmm. correct answers within your allotted period of time so pretty much it identifies like whether you have a lack of understanding with the concept or if the issue is the constraint of time and that's what Mm -hmm. the the blind review method really highlights but it also allows you to really engage with the question and be mindful of your thought process when getting to your answer so That that whole uh, there's also like articles on it. So I highly recommend people, you know, to do their own research and read why it's so effective. But I can definitely contest that it was extremely effective for me. And I, you know, ultimately got the score that I wanted. And it's so important because one point on your LSAT can literally be the difference between getting into a school or not. And it can also be the difference between getting a scholarship or not. It could be the difference between getting sure. a small scholarship versus a full ride. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the reason why it's such an important investment of time and money to, to make sure that you can, are, are achieving the highest LSAT score that you can possibly get. A part of me kind of wanted to wait one more year and just keep implementing this method until I got like a 179 and just gone to Harvard or something, but right. but I knew that that's not that wasn't my goal. My goal was to stay in Los Angeles and to mm-hmm. um and to go to UCLA because of their program. Um So so that's just something that I think is hugely, hugely beneficial. It was for me. And I and I can't imagine how it wouldn't be for anyone who is prospectively taking the exam.
0: That is very helpful. And something that I've drawn from what you kind of like the theme, I I would say that I'm hearing from you throughout this conversation is you're you're suggesting that we should take luck off the table, like yeah. you just said a bit earlier, and you're doing the hard work, mm-hmm. you're taking the time, you're investing the resources, yeah. and you're coming out Abs- strong on the other side.
1: Absolutely, and and kind of to that point, a, a, a huge thing that kind of um, affects people on the LSAT is their confidence. While they're taking the exam, they get a lot of nerves, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and putting in this work, what was really helpful for me is while I was taking the exam and sometimes I'd experience moments of anxiety or confusion is I put in the work. Like I, I right. know I'm prepared to do this. So there's no reason to doubt myself right now. A huge mm-hmm. part of doing well on the LSAT is having that confidence. And mm-hmm. so whatever you can do to build that confidence up is, is very important. And you just have to trust that you put in the work to be prepared to, to, to perform well on your exam.
0: Absolutely. I love, and you, it's, it's clear that you value your time and yes. that you've taken Everyone a should. lot of time. <laughs> I know. And I, I find
1: it's the most important and valuable resource that the world can offer us. You, the absolutely. one thing you can't buy is time. So mm-hmm. it's so important to be efficient and work smarter than working harder.
0: Definitely. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Um, And yeah. And then, you know, other things I was kind of very neurotic about my LSAT experience. I would kind Mm -hmm. of try to control every variable that could affect me. So (laughs) I was, you know, not eating certain foods. I was meditating a lot more because I read that meditation is something that really improves. Um, test scores so Mm -hmm. I was implementing 20 minutes of meditation a day I was just doing whatever I possibly was in my control and in my power to to get to that place that I wanted to be and maybe some of them were effective and some of them weren't, but at least I was trying and like figuring out what those variables were. So that's what I would recommend. And also don't study for more than the amount of time that it takes to take the exam. Sometimes people, Oh, that's a good tip. Yeah, people sometimes study for like eight hours for a day for what will be a four-hour exam and you are experience you, you are putting yourself at risk for burnout which is a very Absolutely. real thing mm-hmm. and and you only need to have enough stamina for the length of time that your exam will be and the way that we learn is actually very much based on primacy and recency so Mm -hmm. so we learn we retain a lot of the beginning of a piece of information and the end of it but the middle is what gets hazy so if you're studying for eight hours straight you actually can gain more surface area on what you need to learn if you take frequent breaks and and don't have it accumulate to more than in this in this instance four hours But be consistent every day. It's really necessary. Yeah.
0: So in terms of your study strategies, this is something that we talk a lot about um, on our website and on our YouTube channel. How do you break up your study? Like, do you have a a method that you use for studying in particular?
1: Um, In in terms of the LSAT or...
0: Yeah. Or just in general. general. Um, I know that like you just mentioned, you're more motivated or you're. you're Well, I'll tell you.
1: I'll I'll tell you my my method for the LSAT is what I would do is um, I would typically take I I knew I was taking the exam in the morning. It's and and another Mm -hmm. variable I wanted to control was taking the exam at the exact same time I would be taking it in the real conditions mm-hmm. um so i would i would take the exam from 8 a.m to let's say 12 p.m and then right. again not checking your scores after what i would do then is i would take a break i would go eat i would work out go to lunch hang out take a like remove myself from the exam so that when i came back to do the blind review i had a fresh set of eyes i i Um, was able to think about the questions in a different way that I maybe wouldn't have if I were to, you know, review immediately after. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So after, you know, taking an a break, sometimes it was an hour, sometimes it was a few, I would go back and spend another couple hours, um, or however long it took to, to get through blind review. Sometimes I would even break it up in two sessions. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I would try to, at that end of the day, score my exam and figure out where my weak spots and where my strong spots were. And Mm then, um, and then, I, I didn't take exams um, every day and I don't recommend that. What I would do the next day is I would drill for like a couple hours. I would drill okay. the questions that I was weak in and then I would either do like a one to two day period of specifically focusing on those weak points and then A few days later is when I would take the next exam and then repeat Mm -hmm. the process. I also was working during the time that I was studying for the exam. So I would just stay at the office sometimes and study there. Okay,
0: that's what I was just going to ask you. So it sounds (laughs) like the LSAT is... It's a full time job, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so how did you how did you manage that? Like working and studying and drilling? Yeah.
1: Um, so social and- life was not very um at the forefront during this time and right. everyone kind of knew it. I, I let the mm-hmm. people close to me know that I was in this process of, you mm-hmm. know, getting to this place and everyone was very understanding about it. You know, there were nice. a a couple I would, you know, have a maybe one day. Um, a week where I would, um, you know, go out or go to a party or a birthday or, you know, allow myself Mm -hmm. to celebrate and enjoy my life. But generally, Mm -hmm. it was a pretty, it was definitely um, a period in my life where I was the most disciplined I think I ever have been. And, um, and, But but the thing is, is because of the blind review method, I it wasn't like dreadful for me. And I was just so excited, like, okay today's going to be the day that I get my score up one point. And I was excited to learn and to like to get to that place of, you know, 100 percent accuracy on a section Mm -hmm. of the exam. And so it was like I was excited to study the next day. (laughs) I made it kind of like a game for myself
0: you had this like built-in uh like intrinsic motivation yes to improve your score interesting yes Mm
1: -hmm. definitely and I think what was really helpful for me also was again those like forums that I would lurk on and like see how other people were managing you know their scores and what strategies they were taking and like Sometimes uh, in, engaging in the discussion and being able to relate to people that were going through the same thing I was, and like joking about it, or you know talking about certain questions and and what we thought of it, um, that was also really helpful for me to make light of the situation.
0: Sure, it always helps to have community yes, around when definitely. you're in some form or another when you're in yeah in the in the throes of an intense.
1: Definitely. Time in
0: life. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, in terms of, do you have any short-term or long-term goals that you're working on?
1: Um. Yeah. I have. I. I. I my. My long-term goals are. Are always evolving, and that kind of goes back to mm-hmm. the beginning of our conversation, where you don't know for sure where you're going to be five years from now. I. Mm-hmm. You know, may not be practicing law at all. Um, and instead using law school as a foundational basis for, um, you know, business ventures that I am interested in and being able, again, to employ that multidimensional aspect of who I am, as opposed to doing kind of one thing for the rest of my life.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But a lot of that is you know through my experiences now in achieving my short term goals it kind of shapes what my long term goals look like and mm-hmm. I, I and i and i try not to be super strict with myself and be open to you know a different path or a different outcome um okay. as far as short term goals um you know do, performing well on my last year of law school and really making the most of it, uh, something I noticed in myself in this my second year of law school is I began taking it for granted. I wouldn't spend as much okay. time on campus. I would
0: mm-hmm. skip more
1: classes, you know, and the faculty is so incredible at UCLA, so I really was doing myself a disservice. And it right. kind of just goes back to, like, there was this point in my life that all I wanted was to go to UCLA Law. Like, I would mm-hmm. give anything. I was so, so, like, oh like a dream come true to 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 study law at UCLA and like I'm in I'm in the middle of it I'm in the middle of my second year and I'm just like blowing it off and I'm just like it's no big (laughs) deal like oh I'll just go to class tomorrow and and I really just want to pay kind of homage to that time in my life where I really wanted to be here and, and therefore to extract my time here and to, um, really make the most of it and take advantage of the resources that Mm -hmm. I am privy to and the, you know, getting, creating deeper relationships with my professors and other students at school, um, that's a definitely a goal of mine to really like extract the most I can out of this next and last year of my law school experience. Um, And then the bar, which will be a whole other beast right right after graduating. Um, And, and yeah, I mean the, the, you know, and then some shorter ones in between, I think it's really important to have goals for the week and the month and the year Mm -hmm. and short and long are relative terms. But Um, But what I can say is that, you know, even setting goals for yourself is a feat in itself and um, and something that can really, really help with, you know, feeling like you are fulfilling your purpose and and Mm -hmm. actualizing your potential.
0: No, I love that. I think uh, you're so right and it. I like what you say about goals. Goals are setting goals are. Is a feat in absolutely, itself. it's hard Just taking that time, yeah, it yeah, and, it's and an and investment in
1: yourself for sure,
0: absolutely, and doing the things each day, uh, to work towards mm-hmm. those goals that's another piece, so, yes, yeah, I appreciate you saying that, which and is much
1: easier said than done. But as absolutely. long as you're as long as some steps are being taken people need to realize that there's people who are taking no steps and that you have to mm-hmm. and you have to reward yourself and remind yourself of the things you have accomplished instead of honing in on the things you have not
0: you haven't yeah. absolutely 100 it's it's we're naturally drawn to the negative sometimes mm-hmm. so I think that's a really good thing to remember that we do have to we're motivated by reward as well right. so right it's it is important to celebrate those little victories that you have totally no totally how small
1: yeah absolutely
0: and I also really just kind of wanted to sum up about what you said about capturing that moment where Mm -hmm. you are right now I know there are I don't think you're alone um where you know you kind of end up taking life experiences for granted yes so I really enjoy that idea of just kind of being mindful of where you are and, and fostering those relationships, like you said. And Definitely,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And, it, and I know that you, you know, on your show, you ask um, what, what your favorite quote is. And yeah. mine actually really kind of um, highlights this idea. And what it says is um, it, it starts like this it says, Now let me get this straight. You want the things that you don't yet have people in your life who you don't yet know and events to take place that haven't yet occurred so that once these things come to pass, you'll feel happy, confident, and fulfilled, accomplished, desired, and appreciated, treasured, adored, and like a beautiful sight to see. But wasn't that your rationale for all of the other stuff you wanted that you now have? Green light. And it's so true. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't realize... We're so quick to... You know, once we get the things that we wanted for so long, to be like, okay, what's next? But, what's next? but, the, exactly. but for so long, you were, you believed that once you got that, you'd be happy. And so, why That's not it. be happy that you that you got it? And and you can simultaneously be happy for what you have while still wanting more for yourself. But absolutely. But it's 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 really important to give yourself credit for the things that you've accomplished that, um, that you know you wanted for a long time.
0: It's so very true. And I've been seeing like a shortened version of the quote that you just oh said yeah floating around. Yeah. It's been coming up um, just on my Instagram and huh. various places on the internet. Just in essence, it's, I don't know the quote right. offhand exactly, but in essence, it's just be grateful for what you have
1: mm-hmm.
0: now. Yes. Because you wished for those things right. so long ago
1: totally so
0: i think that's such an important thing to bear in mind
1: absolutely definitely i,
0: I love that quotation though how beautiful is yeah, that it
1: was it really it really opened my eyes
0: for sure Re- resonated for mm-hmm. sure yeah so this has been such a great interview Delara. thank you so much for imparting such valuable knowledge
1: oh my god thank you so much for having I'm, me
0: I know it's going to be so beneficial for um, our listeners and anyone who hears it.
1: I hope um, so.
0: So just to kind of wrap things up, we've talked about a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but if you could give a piece of advice to someone entering law school or even just someone going to college for the first time, yeah, um, what, what type of advice would you give?
1: That is a great question. Um, I think... I think my advice would just be kind of going back to what we were saying earlier to trust the process and that while some things may appear as a failure, um, in, you know, the immediate, uh, environment that you have no idea what that failure is representative of and where it's taking you, um, potentially one week, one month, one year from now, and you won't be able to recognize it until, you are looking back, um, Mm -hmm. in, in 2020 hindsight, but to embrace those, the challenges and realize that every challenge that you're facing is just making you more. And yeah, it kind of goes back to another one of my favorite quotes that everything makes you more. Every every yeah, I I love it so much, and I think it sounds so beautiful too. But every good thing and every bad thing, it it just makes you more of a person and who you Mm -hmm. are, and every experience just adds to who Mm -hmm. you are. So that's my advice.
0: I love that it's and I love that it's it's so simple. Everything makes you more. more,
1: Yeah, I might change my Instagram bio to. You should. (laughs) I love it. It's really cool. Definitely.
0: It definitely summarizes your
1: story. Wow, thank you. That's such a compliment.
0: Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I've, just, I've just enjoyed hearing oh, all of your stories. And your experience is incredible. Thank so, you
1: so much. Thanks for listening.
0: And, oh, thank you for sharing. It's course. been my pleasure. Of course. And I'm really excited to see how things go for you.
1: Thank you. I'll def- We'll keep you updated in the loop and yes
0: please do um,
1: yeah and you know if if any of your viewers have any more specific questions I am super happy to answer them
0: Oh, that's so wonderful of you thank you so much and how could they get in touch with you
1: um, Instagram is a great way to get in touch um, mm-hmm. my my handle is just my first name Delara so it's pretty easy to find me
0: Perfect thanks again for joining us and i look forward to keeping in touch
1: definitely thanks again thanks to lara take
0: care thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode of the student influencers podcast check out other episodes of the series on your favorite audio streaming platform and hey if you're looking for study tips help with essay writing or advice on how to be a better student Watch The Homework Help Show on YouTube and find us on social media by searching Homework Help Global. Talk soon, guys, and take care.